0: The Colorado Equal Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood.
1: Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is your newscast for episode, what are we at, uh, 204 for the week of March 29th, 2021. Alex, we've, uh, we're closing out Q1 here, closing out with a bang.
2: We are closing out, and you know what that means, Rob? Get to go on vacation. That- it means what, sorry? Get to go on vacation. Oh,
1: vacation time. It is, I, I'm going to be missing next week's podcast because it is spring break and it is time for me to to leave these snowy climbs and find myself a, a wonderful beach somewhere to, to lay on. Are you planning to do anything for, for getting out of town?
2: You know, I think uh, this upcoming week is my kids spring break. Also, um, we, we had an interesting thing this year and that um, my wife, who is an educator and my kids, and they're now in different school districts, have different spring breaks. It's the first time we've had that happen to us. Um, so my wife is on spring break this week and the kids get next week. I think uh, we may take a few days and go skiing, but uh, nothing too crazy. Not going to Mexico. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry for you. on that. I know.
1: Soon. Hey, let's jump over to uh, just some reminders. We do have a Slack channel, and the Slack channel is, once again, super vibrant. Um, I, I really do think that that's maybe the, the best part of this whole community is getting to meet folks there. So if you haven't signed up yet, uh, what are you waiting for? Go out to colorado-security.com and find that Slack link.
2: Yeah, and you know the, uh, the Slack apocalypse from this week seems to have passed for the moment, so you're still safe joining the, uh, the Slack channel. Uh, also we have a mailing list. If you go to the website, colorado-security.com, there is a web form you can, uh, use to sign up to for the mailing list. You'll get exactly one email every week with the show notes after the, uh, new podcast comes out.
1: Uh, we'd love it if you would rate us and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. Uh, that, that'd be a great way for us to find more folks and basically come up higher in the search results. If you search for Colorado on iTunes, how close to the top of the list are we? I wonder,
2: Uh, You you won't know unless you look. That's right. Go do it. Subscribe. Um, if you rate us at a five-star, I assume we will move up one spot in that list. So um, also tell a friend, let them know all of the great things that are going on with Colorado Equal Security, Slack channel, the podcast, the website, everything else, uh, so that they can enjoy it and be participants with us too. And finally, we just want
1: to do a a big thank you to our patrons. You know, we have a great group of people who help financially support the show. You guys make a big difference for us. So we're not having to shell out all of the cash to support it. And uh, frankly, it's also got some some morale boost for us to have some folks who support us. So if you want to join that that group of supporters for the show, you can click the Patreon link on colorado-security.com. Right. Speaking, speaking of the uh, community, uh, I got a question, you know, a, a few weeks ago, we did our two, 200th anniversary, or 200th episode. Um, uh, and when we asked ourselves questions, we interviewed each other versus, you know, interviewing someone else in the community. Well, I got a question a couple weeks late, um, asked that they, he's like, well, I w- really wish you guys would have talked about that. And I said, you know what? I think we can arrange that. So this question came from Chris Ard. Chris is the CISO for Newmont Mining, uh, and he asked, now, what are your, some of your favorite resources to stay on top of security, uh, including, like, websites, books, uh, other podcasts, or security community events? Alex, you want to take a first run at that?
2: Uh, so, well, first I have to say, so it took Chris a couple weeks to dig up that question. It did take him a couple of weeks to dig up that question, a, new, it, up that question at Newmont. Newmont, yeah, yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, so, uh, resources from, from my perspective, I think the biggest thing for me is that um, I, I've... Uh, collected a large list of sites that I monitor, and I, I have these all in a, in a giant RSS feed and in, in an RSS reader. Probably, um, I don't know, 150 plus sites that I uh, that I look through, and you know, I think that that's been really valuable to me, and, and all kinds of different uh, different sites from uh, you know more technical to uh, Krebs to you know lots of different things, and that that really helps me uh, keep a pulse on what's going on. I don't necessarily read everything that's in there, but I do usually look at the headlines for all of the stories that come in, uh, in any particular day.
1: Yeah. My, my logic was uh, with all those sites is always that it's not that I'm going to know everything that's happening is that I'm not going to be surprised by a big thing that happens. Right. Like right the first, the first thing in the morning, one of those is going to tell me it when solar winds happens or whatever. And we don't know pretty quickly. Uh, so for me, favorite resources, uh, you know, it goes in different ways. You know, what we just talked about in terms of awareness, you know, I, I get great awareness, you know, not to pat our, our own community on the back, but from our Slack channel, you know, people people definitely quickly let us know about breaking news in the security community. And that keeps me on top of things. Similarly on, on Twitter, uh, when I do a good job keeping up on that, a lot of the folks I follow, you know, let me know what's coming. Um, in terms of uh, like kind of more... Not, not necessarily current events, but more trends. My very favorite resource is, is a podcast called Unsupervised Learning by Daniel Meisler. He's a security guy. Uh, he currently works for Apple, although you wouldn't know that just listening to his show. Uh, and really, he's just he just goes through what are the trends in technology and security and kind of the, the human world that are going to be impacting us. And, and as leaders, we need to be thinking about how to be, prepare for those. He does a weekly podcast, and, and I get a ton of value out of that. Uh, And that, that
2: makes me feel like uh, I'm not surprised by whatever's coming down the road. And, you know, he does exactly what I do. And uh, the the only difference is that uh, he actually, I think, spends more time actually reading these things and then collates it for other people and charges them to, to get that information. So maybe I should go into that business. That sounds like a lot of work, Alex. (sighs) Work. Work.
1: All right. Uh, So this is—I think this is a great conversation that you know the two of us have answered. But I think the rest of the community probably has some good perspectives on resources to use as well. So why don't we throw this out to the community? Uh, We'll start up a a discussion uh, thread on this in the podcast channel of Slack, and we'd love to hear from you guys on on what resources you use, and let's use that as a way to to make the the mega list of security resources.
2: Sounds good. All right. Let's jump into the news. Uh, There is a new billionaire list from Forbes. And the uh, richest billionaire in Colorado has changed, Rob. So how, how do you feel about this, Alex, being uh, now your number two? <laughs> so uh, it, Phil Anschutz, the uh, the owner of the company that I work for, uh, was the wealthiest resident of Colorado and uh, was displaced by Charlie Ergen, uh, who is the, I don't even know what his technical title is anymore. Well, he's, I think but he's a chairman the,
1: He's a founder and chairman of the board for both Dish and uh, yeah. Echostar.
2: Star. yeah. And I think whatever the uh, the new subsidiary part that's the the wireless carrier and all this stuff too, lots of stuff. Anyway, so um, his uh, his net worth nearly doubled in the last year to ten point six billion. Uh, so congratulations to him, just surpassing uh, philanthudes at ten point one billion. Although I will say, anecdotally, I've heard that uh, the the Forbes list is not necessarily accurate. I, I don't know in which way. Um, I don't know if that means that. Uh, Charlie Ergen is actually worth $1 billion or $100 billion, But uh, I've heard that they that there's a little bit of guessing in terms of making the numbers. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm sure
1: that there's a lot of inaccuracies there. Uh, but to round out the list of billionaires in Colorado, uh, number three on the list is John Malone, who's the chairman of the Liberty Media Group and Liberty Global, uh, worth about $8.2 billion. It makes him the 300th richest in the country. Uh, Kenneth, is it Tuckman or Touchman? Uh, the founder of T-Tech, uh, he is uh, $3.2 billion and putting him at uh, the 951st spot. James Loprino, which you might guess is the owner of Loprino Foods, is $3 is billion, number 1,002 on the list. Pat Stryker, granddaughter of the founder of Stryker Corp, is worth 2.9, putting her at 1,073, and the poorest billionaire in town, uh, which is one of the most Ridiculous, ever <laughs> said, is Gary Magnus, uh, the son of Bob Magnus, the founder of TCI, the big uh, Denver-based cable uh, cable television company, and he's at number one thousand seven hundred ninety with one point six billion dollars in wealth.
2: You know, uh, striker Corp sounds like the uh, the co- a company in a you know that a bad guy owns in, in a Marvel movie. It sounds like uh, uh, is it Airplane
1: striker I uh, know what's <laughs> the anyway, sorry. We'll keep it keep it moving here. All right, uh, uh, is it me. I think it's me, right?
2: Uh, um, it's you, yeah,
1: yeah. So this is some, some interesting news. You know, if, if you remember from that um, that 200th episode, I did talk about my very favorite interview on the podcast was with the founder and CEO for Conversant. Well, the news this week is that Conversant has sold. They were purchased uh, by OneTrust, and if you remember, we actually talked about OneTrust on the show well, not that long ago, right? Like uh, a couple months, I a couple think months ago. They were um, the uh, the fastest growing company in all of America uh, over that previous year, and and now they have acquired Conversant.
2: Yeah, they grew. It was either like thirty one hundred or thirty one thousand um, percent, you know, over that time period, which is crazy. Uh, one Trust, of course, started in the the privacy space, but they have uh, they've enhanced their their platform and, and gone into slightly different areas, now including uh, Conversant software, which they're going to be pulling into the platform.
1: Yeah, so conversant, you know, the, the simplest way to, to refer to them is probably as a whistleblowing technology. If you see something at work, this is a way to report whatever you saw. Um, and you other they're, they're going to be built into that OneTrust platform, which I think is probably nothing but good for conversant.
2: Yeah, good stuff. for to them. Uh, next, another uh, acquisition note, uh, UiPath acquires Cloud Elements, which is based here in town, uh, to help deliver expanded ABI, API automation capabilities.
1: Yeah, this is another, uh, I, I should have said on the last story, congratulations to Cole Krems, who's the head of security for Conversant. And here we get to say congratulations to Ed Fuller, who's the CISO for Cloud Elements. Uh, yeah. it's, it's really cool to see Cloud Elements, who's really built a nice API management platform, uh, get moved into a larger um, platform that they're going to be you know, one one of the components of.
2: Yeah, uh, good stuff, and uh, glad to see that there are, are great companies in Colorado. I'm, I'm a little sad that it's not going the other way around with both of these, where uh, you know we're not Colorado companies aren't acquiring other companies, but uh, good nonetheless.
1: It is good nonetheless. Hey, speaking of good stuff, this is really the only part of the show I care about. You know, hopefully everyone's fast forwarding to this. This is our update on the on the Colorado Inno's Tech Madness tournament, um, and how are those tech those tech uh, companies doing, Alex?
2: I am uh, super excited about this rob. Uh so on we're, we're down to the the final two companies now. We skipped on one, like
1: three rounds in a row here, didn't we? <laughs> it seems they, like a lot of
2: rounds got skipped. It, it, it goes really fast. I think there are only, you know, the the voting I think is even less than a week worth of time. So that yeah, less you know, it's them. it's like 2 to 3 weeks for this whole thing to happen. Um Anyway, but on one side of the bracket, uh, the the finalist is Pi Insurance, we've talked about on the, the podcast before, but on the other side, very excited to say that Stackhawk uh, is the other finalist uh, in this year's Colorado Inno Tech Madness, and so th- this is ongoing right now. Uh, if you go to the link in the story, you should be able to vote uh, so that you can see uh, if Stackhawk is going to be the winner.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is one time where I can honestly say, vote early and vote often, and uh, let's let's make sure we bring this home for the security community and our, and our friends over at StackHawk.
2: Yeah, I expect uh, if they win, that when they accept, they will give a nice cakaw as part of the the acceptance speech.
1: I'm sure it's a, there's a very elaborate gala where where all of
2: the awards <laughs> are given out here. Uh, I'm sure that there is. All right, uh, next uh, we have a a blog from. Uh, from David Staus at, at Bite Back Law, talking about the Colorado Privacy Act being introduced, which is pretty cool. Uh, it, this seems like the the trend of the year, almost uh, every state that I can think of is, if they ha- don't have one already, is introducing a brand new privacy bill, and Colorado appears to be in that same boat. I, I really feel like we got
1: to get David back on the show. It's been it's been three, four years since we've had him, and yeah, obviously this is a, a topic that would be very interesting to our to our listeners. So I think it's, a, it's that's our challenge. Is to, let's get David back to on the show to, to, to teach us what's going on here with this. Obviously, in the short term, since we don't have him here to talk to you, you should just uh, read the blog and, and learn about it that way.
2: Yeah. It, you know, Looking at it, it does seem fairly similar to um, many of the other privacy acts that are either in place now or uh, coming into place, uh, that being GDPR, uh, CCPA, Washington privacy law, Virginia privacy laws—all um, very similar, slight differences in them, um, but all you know focused on on consumer rights. Good stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. Number, I actually, I'm excited that Colorado is doing it on the same side. I really wish Colorado didn't have to do it. That we had a federal right. law that could could you know get rid of this patchwork of privacy laws that we're going to have at the end of it. Um, but you know, I, I guess that's probably not something that we can easily impact here uh, from our from our studio. Yeah all right moving along this is a, a fun list from govtechcom they have identified the top 25 um, government in, government servants uh, who are helping with technological innovation within their um, within their agencies uh, and this is actually across the whole country so the fact that we're talking about it on this podcast might give you some indication of what state showed up
2: yeah Um I think that this is, it's a pretty cool list. This is the, uh, the doers, dreamers, and drivers list for GovTech. Um, and we actually have more than one person with Colorado Connections to talk about in here. Uh, the first, and I don't think it'll be any surprise, is Debbie Blythe, who is the, the CISO for the state of Colorado. Debbie's been doing great stuff for a long time, and so it's great to see her recognized here.
1: Yeah, super excited for Debbie to get this recognition. Well-deserved. She has been, man, probably like seven years or so at the state- uh, really, really proud of, of the work she's done. Uh, we also have another employee of the state, Jenna Griswold. Uh, she's the secretary of state and she's really been pushing, uh, pushing Colorado forward to, to be at the front line of things. Uh, and once again, you know, the fact the way we've done election or mail-in election and you know the security uh, controls in place are really put us at the top of the heap on that.
2: Yep. Uh, also on the list, um, is Kevin Ford, who's the chief information security officer for the state of North Dakota. And you might say, well, why are we talking about Kevin Ford? Uh, Why are we talking
1: about Kevin Ford?
2: This is not North Dakota equals security. Although uh, according to his award, North Dakota does sound like it is pretty high on security. Um, So Kevin uh, used to be the CISO for CyberGRX here in town um, and was recruited away to that position as CISO for North Dakota. Yeah,
1: he's he's de- we definitely think of him as one of our own. Lived in Colorado, uh, got got involved with the community before you know, t- stepping up to you know to to start that service for the state of North Dakota, and we appreciate that and want to reward that. The last name that I, I wanted to call out on the list uh, there's not really a Colorado connection here, but Christopher Krebs is on the list. You know, for his work as the as the head of, of C- CISA, um, I think you know it, it's just neat to see the security. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of security conversation on this on this list and, and uh, it makes me, makes me glad to know that the government's starting to move in that direction.
2: Wonderful to see. All right. Uh, next, another announcement. Uh, F5 Networks has appointed two senior executives um, to their their executive team. And well one of them, I guess, is a, is a promotion or a, a lateral motion. Um, and so Gail Curry, who joined F5 in, in 2018, in a different role, has now been promoted to uh, SVP and Chief Information Security Officer. Um, yeah, congratulations a, to Gail, Gail
1: is a big part of the community here in Colorado, and you know, I, you, and I have known her for man a long time. Uh, previous to this, uh, previous to going to F Five, she was the the CISO for Oracle's cloud, headquartered in the DTC office here in, in town. Um, she went over to to F to Five to become the GM of their Silverline uh, product line, which uh, it really was her chance, first chance getting out of security and really running a business unit. And, and now, you know obviously, FI has been in the news recently with some um, some security news. So I think she's stepping into to a really important role at a really important infrastructure company and very excited for Gail to do that. And she'll be doing that here from Colorado.
2: Yeah, it is cool too, looking at what her responsibility is going to be. So she is going to do enterprise security. So you know your sort of traditional CISO role. Also, uh, com- the company's product security, as well as uh, the service offerings that go along with that, and uh, the responsibility of showcasing to customers the use of F Five security technologies. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. broad. Yeah, I,
1: I love it. You know, I think Gail's going to do great at that. Uh, I'll, you know, candidly, when I was first getting into Ping, and I was, you know, figuring out how do you do security at a at a tech company and, you know, focus on product security as well. I sat, I took Gail to lunch and picked her brain on how she was doing a lot of stuff and got a lot of value from her. Um, so I, I appreciate her willingness to share. And once again, congratulations on the new opportunity, Gail. Yeah. Congrats. Move into our next story. Uh, this is a, a blog from ping and it's focused on what ping identity uh, is doing for women's day or for really it's, it's not just women's day, but it's uh, more broadly how ping is, is focused on women in the workplace. Uh, so it kind of started mentioning that we had a, a whole company holiday on March 8th, uh, international women's day. And it wasn't just a holiday, you know, where you're supposed to just go hang out with your family. The, the intention was to in some way acknowledge what women are, are doing to help you. Um, Uh, to help make the world a better place. Uh, And, and this article goes into a bunch of other things that Ping are doing to engage women and trying to improve the, the ratio of women in the tech industry.
2: Yeah. um, In addition to that, talking about Ping's commitment to equity, inclusion, and diversity, uh, not just with women and the the women in Ping group, but just all across the board. So pretty cool. And and congrats to Ping for that.
1: Yeah. It's been fun to watch this develop over the years. When I got there, you know, it it didn't exist. And, uh, it went from a, a nascent idea to something that is um, really has some real uh, momentum in the organization. And, and I really appreciate that that commitment from, from Ping.
2: All right. Jumping to our last story. Uh, this is from Coal Fire. They have been awarded the first UKAS ISO 27701 accreditation. So um, this is pretty cool for them. Uh, you know, ISO 27,001 is the, uh, security standard. 27,701 is the privacy standard and they are, um, they are assessors for 27,701 and they have now been accredited, uh, for giving those, uh, accreditations out. So congrats.
1: Um, obviously really cool stuff. Coal Fire is often at the front end of, of any new compliance requirements. And it's nice to see them, uh, once again uh, getting on this one so good 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 work up there to the uh the denver-based big consulting firm
2: i thought it was uh, interesting to see that they had been um been approving people for 27701 certification before being accredited um and so i guess people were sort of an unaccredited um uh, certification but now since they're accredited all those people automatically get accredited certification so congrats love it all right, let's jump
1: over to the Slack message of the week. Big thanks to Andre. Andre Gate has been our supporter for forever. Um, and each week we pick one community comment from Slack that that drove the conversation forward, or we just wanted to acknowledge. And uh, this week, that, that person will get to well, that person gets to pick an
2: item from the Colorado Equal Security Store. And who did we pick this week? Alex. This week's winner is Colin Grady. Uh, Colin is uh, very active in the Slack channel, and he posted this week. I believe he was the first person to post about the uh, the cargo ship that is stuck in the Suez Canal, which resulted in lots of talk about that uh, ship being stuck in status and memes and everything else. And that's the only reason
1: I knew about this story, by the way. I, I know yeah, other, other people have other news sources, but I didn't know. And it's big news. Uh, and I think, Colin, either this week or last week, probably last week, finally... Uh, announced he closed on the condo. He, he's been taking us along on his journey as he's been yeah. putting offers on condos. And and I think he's he's now closed on that. So congratulations on that as well, Colin.
2: Yeah, I, I did note that uh, someone else, uh, it could have been Colin, someone posted a a website that uh, I think is something like, istheshipstillstuck.com. Yeah, that, that was awesome. Uh, and uh, I, when you go to that website, it tells you based on the amount of time it's been stuck there, um, how much has been lost um, in I don't know, in GDP, I guess, or, or whatever. When I looked, it was like $34 billion has been lost by the ship being stuck in the Suez Canal.
1: We looked at a very and similar counting. time than Alex, because that's,
2: that's the number I saw too. Uh, <laughs> Maybe good. it's not updated so much.
1: Good stuff. All right, let's jump over to the uh, calendar of events. Um as a reminder, that was great. Let's move on from events. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <sorry. laughs> that's basically, we do have a calendar on the website showing all of the events happening in the next, uh, well, as far out as we see scheduled. Um, however, on the show, we just talk about the next two weeks worth of events. And to your point, Alex, there are no events in the next two weeks. Not at all.
2: Yeah. I think that everyone decided these are, you know, spring break and, and everything else. We'll just take a little break here and, and come back in a couple of weeks. Uh,
1: so, you know, why don't we use that real quick? I don't know if you're ready for this to do, do you, any kind of a, uh, RMISC sneak preview mm, you want to yeah. give?
2: Yeah, that's great. So we're um, we are almost two months out from from RMISC, um, and you know we've we had a little bit of different timing this year because we're not used to trying to put together a virtual conference. But uh, we should be sending out uh, shortly here the uh, acceptances for people from the uh, call for presentations. So if you uh, if you put in a, a presentation in there, you should be getting a notification here soon. And our plan is to actually open registration for RMISC on April eighth, so that's a, about two weeks from now, uh, or less than two weeks if you're when you're listening to this. And um, so, we, yeah, we're getting pretty excited about that. We're I, I can say that unofficially, we have um, a couple of keynotes, uh, and you know maybe I can talk about those a little bit, even though we haven't uh, officially signed the, the papers. I think uh, one of the really cool ones is uh, Chris Hadnagy, who is going to come in and do a keynote. So uh, you guys may know Chris from the socialengineer.org podcast and website. He also runs the uh, social engineering village at DEF CON and, uh, you know, just sort of a, a personality in the security world. So I think that that should be interesting. Um, and the other one is uh, Jennifer Brown. She's going to be talking about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's, That's awesome. Really cool. Uh, Alex, it's really cool.
1: And, uh, and the date's basically, it's uh, the first week of June. Is that right? Is that when it is?
2: Uh, so we are we're doing the eighth, ninth, and tenth of June, awesome. and you might say, "Holy cow, three days of a virtual conference—that's a lot." Well, it is. It's three half days, so we, we wanted to make sure that uh, we got uh, you know enough time in for people, but also didn't want to you know put people through the ringer of being on on Zoom for eight hours a day for three days.
1: It's a good idea. I love the way you think. Yeah. All right, hey, we, we did talk about events for a while. Let's jump over to jobs now. Uh, we Starting off with the top job on the list is I think came right from you. The Broadmoor, the the resort hotel in the Springs is looking to hire an information systems network administrator.
2: Yeah, the, the Broadmoor is one of the companies in uh, the Anchutes portfolio. And while this is not directly a security job, um, it has a lot of security responsibilities and the IT team down there is uh, does a lot of good stuff in security. So it'd be cool if you're down in the Springs. Uh, GitHub is looking for a chief of staff for security. Yeah, pretty cool that they're hiring that here in Denver too. Yeah. Um,
1: forensic Discovery, it's, that's the name of the company. They're hiring a senior digital forensics investigator, and that's here in Denver as well.
2: Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, Rob, but uh, I had not heard of Forensic Discovery before, but apparently it is a fairly large forensic company, and it is based here in Denver. I can't believe you oh, keep
1: finding up. new companies. It's I know. Amazing.
2: They, they just keep popping up. Who knows? Uh Altera Mountain Company is hiring an IT application security analyst. Alchemy Security, with our good friend uh, Joe Bonell. Jobo,
1: over there, is hiring a systems administrator.
2: And I think while that says system administrator, I think you're probably going to be doing a lot of security work related to that. Uh, Alteryx is looking for a cybersecurity operations intern for the summer of 21, and this is the the intern section of the job list. Yeah, we we start. We already finished the rest of the jobs.
1: The rest of this is interns. Ping Identity is hiring a cybersecurity intern. That's that's uh, on my team there. If you have any questions, reach out to me on Slack.
2: Rule four is hiring a summer intern. The state of Colorado is hiring a legislative IT audit intern. Yeah, a little... Uh... Little turn there, IT audit intern, and then finally, FireEye is hiring an incident response and red team internship internship for uh, summer of 2021, and this is a remote opportunity. I think in the job post it technically says Toronto or something like that, but I, I believe it can be anywhere. Awesome. Well, that is it for jobs
1: and that's it for the news, but good news is we do have an interview this week. Uh, thanks to Jason Jakes. He sat down with uh, the IT and security leader and a poker superstar, James Brown, who is the director of infrastructure and security over at Invoca. And we get, I know James, but now the rest of you are going to get to know James as well.
2: Uh, did, did they talk about how it was to um, play the theme song for Rocky III when, you know, when he fights uh, Ivan Drago?
1: I, I can't nope. imagine having a conversation with James on that was recorded where I didn't make some kind of allusion to, yeah. to I, I just don't know how you get through it without doing it.
2: Yeah. But we'll see if Jason Jakes has better or I, don't, I don't know, something.
1: We'll see if J if Jason Jakes has better uh, with uh, self-control than I do. Yeah, I I doubt it, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. Well that's it. We'll uh, we'll talk to you guys again next week. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Rich Schlei the CISO for the Colorado Department of State,
3: this is Colorado Equal Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals.
0: Hello Colorado Equal Security, I'm Jason Jakes. My spotlight interview this week is with a member of the community, James Brown, the Senior Director of Information and Security at Invoca. Enjoy. James, thanks for joining me on the podcast today.
3: Glad to be here.
0: So let's talk a little bit about uh, the elephant in the room first before we dive into uh, where you're from. You are the 2020 poker champion for Colorado Equal Security. How do you feel about that?
3: Uh, I feel pretty good about that. I'm yeah. still waiting on you know the feeling of holding that trophy in your hand for the first time, but right. I'm yeah, feeling pretty good. Yep, I do
0: have a trophy for you, and I'm going to send
3: it shortly.
0: Um, but let's, uh, let's explore poker just for a, just for a little bit. So you actually played poker for a living, correct?
3: I did for, uh, just under two years when I was much, much younger. How old
0: were you and how did that come about?
3: Uh, I was about 19, 18 to 20, that range in there. Um, and it started, um, online. You could play, um, there wasn't really a lot of poker rooms and I, uh, had won a free roll just free to enter tournament and i won like two bucks and then i put that two bucks into another tournament won several hundred and then you know have thousands um after a few weeks like i kind of had a knack for it Uh, i then cashed out some of that and i started playing in live poker rooms live games and i just consistently you know was making money doing it and yeah just kept kept up with it
0: so you are what they call a ringer and you're just Taking all of the security people's money around here in Colorado, um, I don't know how I feel about that.
3: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I did give you all a disclaimer ahead of time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it's 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 kind of funny because the uh, the winnings do seem to go around. I've actually even won one of the events that we that we did, and it was out of sheer luck. I just went all in like six straight times and kept doubling up. So sometimes, you know, sometimes luck happens.
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, if you ask any poker player, I think they'd probably tell you they'd rather be lucky than skilled. Right, <laughs> right. And another sure. thing to remember, too, I mean, there's, you can't win every game, right? And what a lot of people, I think, don't really understand about um, poker and playing it for a living is it's very different. Um, you know, now I play for fun. Like I do things that I wouldn't have done back then. And you, you build in losses to your strategy when you're playing for a living. So, um, you do lose games and you're really looking for that, you know, extra one to 2% just to edge you up. Uh, so you have, you know, the ability to sustain. Right. So why did you stop playing poker? It was literally the worst job I've ever had. And mind you keep my first job was detasseling corn. So, I would go out in cornfields, get shredded, like arms and legs sweating with pollen falling in it. And I would do that over playing poker for a living again. It was the most stressful, like Mm. exhausting job. And it just took all the joy out of playing the game. You know, like I actually enjoy playing poker. And like for years, I just, I never touched it after I stopped playing because of traumatized I was. Yeah. Leaping for a week to pay rent. You know, when you
0: turn a hobby into uh, a profession, it definitely changes your outlook on the hobby. Hundred percent. That's that's what I have noticed too. So I, I totally get that. Uh, well, let's actually shift gears and get back on track with uh, with this interview. Uh, that was kind of a nice distraction, but um, let's talk about where you're from. So you were you were born in California, right? I was. Yeah.
3: Where at in California? Uh, Simi Valley. So like uh, just north of LA. Okay. How was that to grow up in, I guess, the uh, suburbs of L.A.? Uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, I was, you know, six when I moved away, so like, there's not a ton I remember. But I remember the nice weather and, you know, earthquakes and fires. Um, kind of odd. Like, I remember the smell of wildfire uh, stuck with me. And, you know, moving to Minnesota, I like didn't grow up in California. But when I came back and smelled uh, wildfire again, like I knew exactly was it, what it was. <laughs> it was such a distinct smell that i remembered from my my childhood living in.
0: Wow. Okay, so there must have been some fire seasons there. Oh yeah.
3: So Cal. It's basically just a perpetual fire season down there. Oh, interesting. I've never uh
0: i've never spent a ton of time in southern california, mostly northern california for me like the san jose area, but um yeah, i would i would not wanna be around uh kind of the fire smell all the time. Last year was bad enough here in colorado.
3: Yeah. It was rough. So, okay. So you left at six. Where'd you go after that? Uh, Minnesota. We, uh, we moved. So the first time I saw snow, um, was in Minnesota, when we moved up there. We drove up there, um, and we pulled in, it was a really, really small town way up in Northern Minnesota, um, like maybe like an hour or two from like the Canadian border. And I'd fallen asleep, I guess, somewhere, maybe in like Nebraska or something and woke up and there was like snow <laughs> as tall as I was outside. It was insane. Um, we had like a wood burning fireplace, uh, so we had to cut wood literally, like go outside, mm-hmm. chop down trees, and like chop wood to put it in a fireplace so we didn't like freeze to death. Um, and that was my introduction to Minnesota. I decided at that moment I did not like it there. Did you know
0: what snow was at the time, like, or Apparently. did you look out and go, "What is all that whiteness?"
3: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I figured it out quickly, but yeah, it was it was insane. I, it was so much of it.
0: And you must have gotten used to it and learned to enjoy it because you came to
3: Colorado. No, actually, I was so traumatized by it that I, when I turned 18, you know, I was playing poker. I rolled up my bankroll and used that to move out to California so I could get away from the cold. And I lived out there for, geez, I think like 14 years before moving to Colorado. Um, And the reason I came to Colorado was I realized that winter didn't have to be death. <laughs> yeah. In Colorado, there's this nice balance, you know, like it's still 40, 50, you know, snow comes and melts a few days later kind of thing. So right. way more manageable. Yeah.
0: Okay. So your travels took you back to California and then Colorado? Yeah. Okay. So why Colorado?
3: Um, Mostly the mountains. Um, You know, we were my wife and I were looking for a place, you know, to to buy a house. Uh we wanted to be able to get into back country and we taken a bunch of road trips out to the, you know, like the Boulder area and we loved all the hiking and scenery and stuff like that. So on a whim, we just decided to start looking at homes and we got really lucky found a nice place and moved out this way. And the market was so good that we just figured we'd chance it, you know, if we didn't like yeah. it we could probably not lose money. Um but we fell in love with it. Did you have uh, jobs at the time or did you move out here without jobs? Yeah. So I actually went remote, um, same company. Um, I'd just been, you know, working remote periodically throughout my you know tenure there. And I opted to go remote again. My wife is a psychologist and she had just finished her uh, postdoc hours. Um, so she was kind of venturing out on her own. And it was a good opportunity, you know, at that time, she didn't have a huge client uh, base. So we just had to make the move then.
0: Okay. Yeah. Perfect timing. And yeah. then, uh, you have, you moved up to the Boulder area and that's, that's kind of where you've been,
3: right. Or have you lived in other parts of Colorado? Nope. Yeah. We, um, we had driven around Boulder quite a bit and we knew we didn't want to live like right in the city. So we found, you know, it was pretty cool that there's all these little kind of subdivisions or whatever. Um, we're specifically in gun barrel, which is you know like a mile or two North East of Boulder. And it's nice. You know, got a grocery store, a couple of restaurants and some nice neighborhoods, but it's, you know, we're a hundred feet from ten miles of farmland, which is which is really cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And I know that uh you have you have one um well, you have probably many claims to fame, but one of your claims <laughs> to fame is that you have been to every state in the US. Is that right?
3: I have. That is true. How did that come about? Uh, just a lot of road trips. Um, okay. like with most things, right? Like you just start doing something and then like, you realize that you made it significantly through. So you might as well just finish it. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd taken so many road trips, you know, through high school and stuff. Um, I was a skateboarder. So we, you know, drive to different cities and States to skate different stuff. And we just ended up getting through most of the States and I figured I'd finish it out. I still like, I don't like to count hawaii and alaska because i was like incredibly young um, when i went there that i hardly even remember it so i definitely like to go to those two again so i can like remember something about the state but
0: right yeah all of them so to cross off all of the states then was there let's say i don't know four or five on your list at the very end and you're like let's just hurry and drive through those states and call it good or how did that how did that happen
3: It it was actually one it was florida um we were on a road trip and we got to georgia and we ended up having to turn around. Uh, So I didn't get to Florida. So it was, I want to say it was, I was like 23 or something like that. It was probably like four or five years where like this one state had just kind of existed that I hadn't been to yet. And I never particularly wanted to go to Florida. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with it. It just wasn't kind of like my scene, I guess, like the key, you know, uh, Florida keys and stuff like that. It just wasn't super intriguing, but we ended up finally going with, you know, family uh, down there when I think it was like 22 or 23, Um, check it off. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Very cool. How did you cross off? Um, There's, there's a lot of the States in kind of the Northeast part of the U S that I've never been to like, how'd you do Delaware? How'd you do like New Hampshire? How'd you do some of these weird, obscure States that nobody ever seems to, to go to
3: we like basically all of new england was a specific road trip for sightseeing um and it's absolutely beautiful up there like especially if you get like the fall and like you just got these rolling hills of like you know trees changing color and stuff like that so that was a deliberate trip um to check those off uh and mainly just to be able to see the scenery oh nice okay
0: like the uh the leaves changing that kind of kind of road trip cool uh and then um the the other so you've got a couple of hobbies since you've moved to Colorado uh, beyond poker obviously you are uh, you're into snowboarding correct I am yeah where's your favorite place to go
3: I'm a huge fan of Winter Park um, they always seem to have pretty good snow and like they got some good tree runs up there yeah have you been to all the different resorts no yeah I haven't I'm not nearly as dedicated to checking off resorts as I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, mountaineering, that's, that's probably your main hobby, correct? That is, that is taking up a rather rapidly increasing amount of my time. <laughs> okay.
0: Let's talk about that. Um, how did you get into that? Uh, maybe what is it first, but how did you get into it? And, and, uh, and where is that taking you nowadays?
3: Yeah. So, When I got into it, I actually didn't know what it was. Uh, I really just enjoyed uh, like hiking in the backcountry. Like I liked getting off the beaten path, you know? so I'd drive my truck on an off-road trail until the road ended and then I'd start hiking. And that to me was always fascinating to get out to places where people rarely go or, you know, you run into other people. So I liked exploring and someone had turned me on to this concept of 14ers, um, like these really high peaks. And I was like, oh, that could be fun. Sounds miserable, but it could be fun. And so I tried a couple and I found it to be really challenging. Um, There was a lot of things I was learning in terms of like how to scramble and like, you know, bring the right amount of water and food and you know get off the mountain safely. Um, And so I I got hooked and I just started hiking more and more. And I think after I got through like maybe about a dozen of the 14ers, I started really understanding what mountaineering was, which was, you know, this concept of uh, like rock climbing. But Alpine style, so you make it to the top of these peaks through, you know, various levels of difficulty. You know, you've got a class system where, you know, your normal hike is like a class one, maybe um, tough hike might be like a class two, and then you got three, four, and five. Um, to get to some of these peaks, require a level of, you know, technical skill in terms of like climbing. Um, that was really intriguing to me. So, I started rock climbing. I uh, started <laughs> running started, you know, weightlifting. So I went through this whole, like investment into conditioning myself to be able to make it up, uh, these mountains and, you know, hike further and harder. And, um, it's been pretty exhilarating. Yeah. Yeah. And you have,
0: you have hiked at this point about half of the 14ers in Colorado. I think you, you mentioned one time to me.
3: Yep. Just under half. Um, there's like, depending on like what, you look at it as the source. I think there's 54 or 58. Um, yeah. my goal is I'll, I'm trying to go for all 58 here, uh, within a year and I've gotten through, uh, I think 20 No.
0: So, okay. So in
3: 2021, like this calendar year, you're going to attempt to do them all. Yeah. Well, so I started at the end of July of 2020, okay. um, hiking and I got through 20 of them. Well, I got through 18 of them by like October. And then I took a couple month break uh to condition and let my body heal a little bit. <laughs> it's a little rough okay. on it. Yeah. Um, and then I've got two winter summits um in the last couple weeks. So I'm now back into like summit mode. So my goal is to finish them out by roughly July. Wow. So how many more do you
0: have to do by uh by July?
3: Yeah, like 30 of them. That's
0: the um, you're uh <laughs> I was gonna say your dog is excited to go with you. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. So you have 30 to go in. um, All right. Let's see. We're recording this in March, April, May, June. You got like three, four months to do 30.
3: Yeah. So the other thing to keep in mind, too, is what a lot of people kind of forget or don't realize is that a lot of them are together. So, like, there's a total of three trips that I have planned that is going to account for about a dozen of them 12 or 13 of them. So, if you think about that in like a two week span, I'm going to knock off half of them essentially that I have left to do. Um, so okay. you do four in one trip and like you set it up so you camp and then you do like a couple mile summit and then another couple mile summit and you're done with four. Yeah. Yeah. Are you
0: able to, uh, to actually work while you're doing any of this or are you completely
3: yeah. disconnected? It's a little, it depends. Um, I will tell you when I did Albert, which is the highest uh, peak in Colorado, uh, I set up to do that one and I'd taken the day off and something <laughs> urgent came up at work with like a customer call. And they had some questions for me around like, uh, security and compliance. So when I was on the summit, I had a video call with a bunch of folks from my team, um, <laughs> on the wow. summit, And it apparently like when you're that high up in the air, like 14,000 feet, you've got line of sight to a cell phone tower pretty much anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah.
0: We're uh, so did you have video on Were people able to like did, see yeah.
3: where you, uh, that's, that's pretty hilarious. I was uh, in this little kind of like walled off area of rocks um, and it was, you know, pretty close And uh, about five minutes in uh, someone asked like, Hey, where are you? And so I panned out with my phone and I was like, well, I'm technically the highest thing in Colorado right now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. They got a kick out of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have never been on a call with uh, somebody, at the summit of one of the peaks. Yeah. Now I've got something new to, to potentially check off as well. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to do the mountaineering, but
3: yeah, um, well, maybe we'll hop on another call here in a couple yeah. months and I'll, yeah. I'll dial in from the top. Let,
0: let somebody else do the mountaineering. I'll just be on the video call.
3: <laughs> there you go. It's funny.
0: Well, Hey, let's um let's talk about uh, security and tech and um, how did you, uh, what's kind of your getting into the industry story?
3: Um, so security specifically was always kind of a passion of mine. You know, I'm I'm one of those folks that you know I was like a nerd, uh, hardcore when I was younger. Yeah. And like you know winters in Minnesota, like I would tear down computers, I'd rebuild them. And over time, you know, when you know the internet started getting really popular, uh, this notion of security was kind of where like the deviance ended up, right? Like the really curious people um, yeah. got tired of breaking the computers when rebuilding them. They started looking at like software and how you could deconstruct it and find holes in it. Um, and it always appealed to me. So I always kind of like kept up with it. I started going to, you know, DEFCON, um, we'd road trip out there every year. And that really kind of pulled me into that scene. And then fast forward to California, I kind of broke into the tech industry out there and I was working at a, consultant firm and doing a lot of like windows environment um, sysadmin kind of stuff and we had a couple customers that were having some security issues um, they need to do some forensics and um, some coworkers knew that i was you know particularly interested slash skilled in it um, and it turned out really quickly to become a branch of the the firm i was at so we started doing more of it um, i started developing skills and researching more and then went on Future jobs to to do the same thing, and um, then kind of ventured into leadership and ended up where I'm at now.
0: Okay. So, did you actually start in in really the security or tech space um, before poker?
3: No. So i got, I got when I got to California, um, like I said, I took my bankroll. So, like the amount of yeah. money to play poker with, right? So you've got like you know several thousand dollars, then you take a little bit of that at a time to sit down at tables. Why? And you never touch that, right? Cause that's your livelihood if that goes away. Then you don't have anything, Well, I decided to quit. Um, so I took that bankroll and that's what paid for, you know, the, the move out to California. And I just got a job in sales, um, like telemarketing kind of stuff, like um, typical kind of college style job. When I got out there and I worked out for, I don't know, maybe like a year, year and a half. And then, uh, I started working for a, um, like site like small business, um,
0: computer support company. Okay. And that, that small business computer support company was that
3: LandSpeed? speed? No. So that was, uh, make it work. It was like, uh, these little red mini coopers you drive around, uh, it's pretty cool gig, but you no know, lane speed came after make it work. That was the consultant firm that <clears throat> kind of broke me into the, uh, security space. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're driving around little mini
0: coopers, you're fixing people's computers. Is that mm-hmm. basically what it was?
3: Yeah. Awesome. They um, tried to keep me there. I mean, I, I give them a lot of credit. I'm, I'm one of those people where, like, I just, I've got to be challenged and, you know, fixing computers, like removing malware was yeah. like that, that kept me busy for about three hours. <laughs> so they ventured out and, you know, started doing small business support, stuff like that. But it was still not quite the, the challenge I was looking for. That's what kind of led me over to, to Lane Speed. Okay. And then
0: at land speed, that's, that's where you really pivoted from just kind of the tech industry to, uh, to security, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, that place was really cool. I, um, the owner, um, Chris is still a good friend of mine and we talk, you know, every so often, but he, um, he really like, kind of like unleashed me out to the world so he, he let me venture really deep into like Linux and you know supporting and maintaining those systems like security so he really did a great job I think of fostering um, and keeping me challenged and allowing me to grow uh, but yeah. yeah that's what really sent me rocketing into the security space okay and you haven't looked back so so that's good I'm not yeah it's it's a really fascinating space for sure and it, yeah. tech in general moves very quick but security is like alarming at the rate at which it, it evolves. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it never slows down. That's
0: for sure. So yeah. the, your, your next gig after that was right scale. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about that. Is there anything notable or interesting?
3: Yeah. I mean, so I actually came in there um, to do a little bit more on the tech side of things. So I started, uh, I started there to virtualize uh their telecom system. So I, d I'd done a lot on telecom too, which is this weird sidebar. Uh, I hate talking on the phone, which is really interesting too. Yeah. I love telecom. That's funny. <laughs> but uh yeah, so I started there and I virtualized the system and you know, kind of the tail end of that project, the the head of security over there uh got to know me a little bit better and it had some, you know, challenges there. He was trying to find, you know, where there was Uh, vulnerabilities in the platform there and stuff. So I kind of went to town, you know, working for him at that point, just punching holes in our platform there. And, you know, I filed a bunch of bugs and kind of filled up a backlog. And then he kind of turned me loose on like third parties that we're using, you know, being a modern SaaS company, use Google and these other ones, but I ended up actually finding a bug. Uh, It was like an off bypass in Google groups. So I was, uh, I got on the Bug Bounty Hall of Fame for Google and got a, a check from them for filing a, bu- a bug with them.
0: Oh, that's pretty awesome! So, how did you find it?
3: So i was uh, I was tasked with doing a phishing um, like scam, essentially. Like, you know, we yeah. would go through and like fish our internal employees and like figure out like how how well our folks, you know, kind of privy to this. Um, and and this was quite a long time i go at this point. It was probably like at least 10 years ago. So it was still yeah. kind of new. But one of the things that I wanted to do is be able to send like a valid email. And what I figured out uh, quickly is like the standard like if you just spoof an email in. Like Google did a pretty good job of, you know, throwing up the, the spam warning. And I knew that I was going to like demolish the click-through rates of the, the phishing email. So I, I set out to figure out a way of getting in. And what I found is if you had two different organizations in Google, you can populate Google groups with uh, your recipients and you could send it uh, like by spoofing it or whatever. And it would bypass your any authentication whatsoever. So if I sent it as you, it would actually just hit, I don't know if it was like a backend set of SMTP servers that Google had or what, but it would go back there and it would validate it at that point. There's no authentication. I didn't have to log into an account or anything like that and then they would send it through. And it was, it was so bad that they would actually take your Google picture. Right. And they'd apply it to the email. So like they went and validated the email even better by wow. you know, sending it through. So, you know, we had like 98%, you know, click through rates on the phishing oh, email. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that definitely sounds like a, a pretty serious issue. I'm glad they, um they addressed that.
3: Yeah. And it's kind of tough, right? I mean, cause you you have to deal with the complications of, you know, sending mail because, you know, sometimes you're sending it from a laptop. You know, sometimes you've got application servers and I understand the the difficulty of kind of fixing that problem and applying trust and authentication around, you know, email accounts. But yeah, yeah well, it was pretty bad. Wow. Okay. So after RightScale,
0: that's when you joined your current company, Invoca, right? So, what? Let's talk about that. You've you've been there for quite a while. What's what's your role and responsibility there, and in um, some of your challenges?
3: So, I am the senior director of infrastructure and security. Um, so, I, I started there as I guess just an ops engineer. You know, it was really early. I think there was only like sixty people in the company when I started. Okay, uh, so wow. I was kind of just like. The token tech guy at that point
0: (laughs) yeah so you've Um, seen it grow quite a bit i have
3: yeah and i have to say i've i've thoroughly enjoyed it um for me you know solving problems in new innovative ways is is what i love and starting there you know we quickly started running into security and compliance related um situations with our customers you know we've got a growing number of you know enterprise customers and you know they have Questions, you know, (laughs) they they have concerns and they have you know vendor reviews they have to do. You know, they have to make sure that we you know meet certain levels of uh, security and compliance standards. So I started jumping in more and more to these kind of conversations, and at the same time, I kind of uh, stepped up to build out the first um, SRE team. So we moved from ops over to site reliability engineering, and I stepped into a management role and with it kind of took the security aspect as well. So yeah, I've had the ability to kind of grow from the ground up these teams. Um, And I have to say, like, I'm pretty proud of of the teams, particularly the SRE team. You know, if you look at the headcount that we have um, compared to a lot of comparable companies, you know, we, we operate and get a lot more done with maybe a third, to a fourth of the headcount. Um, we focused wow. heavily from the beginning on automation and this concept of, you know, shifting left, which is a big thing in um, security that you're hearing now, right? It's like shifting that left. We had that mindset kind of from the get-go, which allowed us a pretty cool edge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's very smart. And so for, for listeners that are not aware of what Invoca does, can you explain what you guys do?
3: Yeah. So we are a, Call analytics company. Um, I think the easiest way is uh, to think about like a a big company and you have someone that's, you know, marketing uh, your product and you're sending out all these, you know, advertisements to people and a lot of time with considered buys, you know, if it's something that's significant, whether it's a really expensive, you know, built in like barbecue system uh, or, you know, like a car. You typically don't just go to a website, throw it in a cart and check out, right? Like you usually have questions and you want to, you know, get some more information. And oftentimes what happens is some marketer pays some amount of money to send, you know, some ad to you or some, you know, kind of advertisement that that gets you interested. And then you call in. And when you call in, you lose that that attribution. You lose that uh, tracking. So the marketer doesn't know if this ad's working, if that one's working. And what we do is we bridge that gap. So we step in and we allow them to kind of tie their marketing dollars to the actual conversions. Um, and then, meanwhile, we're doing a lot of really cool stuff now with machine learning to help give some uh, additional, like, conversational intelligence, um, allowing folks to get more insight into the calls that are coming into their contact centers and uh, how to optimize those better. That's very cool. Um, so, where do you see uh, where do you see
0: this going for you over the next? I don't know, say five, 10 years, where, where does the technology, where does the security um, evolve to within, you know, let's say not just, not just for yourself, but for Invoca?
3: That's a good question. I think, you know, one of the things that security is not particularly great at, and we haven't learned from the wider tech industry yet is that it's really paramount that people understand it. Right. It, yeah. it became really obvious, like with personal computers that like people didn't know what they were, or how to use them. Right. So the market was very niche until we taught the world how to use these things. And I think security is uh, struggling with that right now. People don't understand it. They don't understand you know, their role in securing themselves and by extension, then the company and um instituting best practices, uh, drawing lines between, you know, how their car or their cell phone can compromise them or their family or their companies. So that kind of shortcoming, I think is, if I had to wager the next kind of iteration is over the coming years, more on that. Like we need to create more solutions that help level people up to do the right things from the get-go. And then also zero trust. I think you're seeing a a big shift in um, the security industry now where, we're shedding these kind of old ideals of, you know, setting up these huge super structured walls around our environments uh, and trying to keep everyone inside of them. COVID quickly bulldozed right through all those walls. (laughs) We immediately realized that, you know, the world is a vector and like we need to just deal with that. So you're seeing a lot of, of companies now, I think shifting to ensuring that you have strong contracts between services. You've got strong authentication authorization, um, so I, I would expect that we'll see a lot more of, of that shift. And I'm particularly interested in that. You know, I, I love helping people and I love you know, setting up systems that are resilient. Um, so if someone compromises you know, an application server, it doesn't compromise the company. Right? So building that resiliency into systems is something I've really, really enjoyed doing. Yeah. And I like
0: that you use the term level up people. Um, I think, I think that's a great one. And I know that some of your passions in, in the security space are, you know, you consider yourself a red teamer, right? Yeah. And, um, and your passions are STEM. And in fact, you've, you've actually organized a capture the flag event in the past. Um, So, so you're, you're definitely trying to level up people. What, uh, what made you organize uh, CTF event and and how did that come about?
3: Um, yeah, it was honestly a little selfish. If I <laughs>
0: okay, yeah, no, that's far.
3: real. So we, um, what I found really quickly, um, hiring in you know site reliability engineering and security is really difficult, right? To find talented people and it was really tough to build a pipeline. And I needed to hire a security engineer, and we had this idea like we can um, put together the CTF and get. Our kind of uh, name out there, and at least have the folks that are in the security space. Um, at this time, it was in Santa Barbara, so it was a pretty, pretty tight knit tech community. But we could establish ourselves as like a security company, and that would allow us to hopefully attract or better attract, you know, some of the the security talent uh, there. So we set out. Me and um, a coworker at the time, Jimmy, uh, put it together, and it was wildly successful. <laughs> it turned out. Yeah incredible um, from the get-go so it just became something we did annually um, we didn't do it um, this year typically we have it in February um, but we are looking at potentially doing it in the fall and moving into virtual um, that's okay. something we want to do anyways you know open it up to more communities um, by going virtual anyway and the one thing I think that was particularly successful about our CTF is that we had a really cool gradient. Um, we had very easy challenges. So someone could come in with literally no experience whatsoever. Yeah. We had literally the like junior team from shellfish, which if you're not familiar, that's the UCSB, um, information security, uh, red team. So they go and compete and have won, you know, the capture the flag at DEF CON a couple of years. So mm-hmm. they came in and, you know, they destroyed the challenges for sure, but they kept busy for the couple of days that we had it. So hmm. it was a really cool spectrum. It was really open and available for everyone. We had lock picking and, and stuff like that too.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So you're gonna you're gonna keep doing that then. Yeah, absolutely. Do you put that on the calendar for Colorado Equals Security so that uh, the the community is aware of it?
3: Not yet, but like I said, the because it was in Santa Barbara, like we'd file oh, there, yeah, we didn't have yeah, anything okay. virtual for folks, um, right. but. As soon as I moved out here, I immediately wanted to start looking at doing it um, uh, virtual and bringing it, you know, to this community. So, absolutely, when we get some more details, I'll be uh, be shouting from the mountaintops.
0: Yeah, and
3: you know, it's funny.
0: Um, obviously, virtual, you can do it anywhere. But uh, if you ever do one that's not virtual, I'm sure there's plenty of people in the community that would that would love to be a part of that and and help out.
3: Oh, for sure. You know what? There's just something like I'll throw it out there too. Uh, Back on the STEM topic, one of the things that I think is pretty unfortunate is like we we have a hard time exposing security to to kids, you know, getting them interested in the field. And I thought it'd be a really cool idea if we created like a dumbed down, like three to four hour version of the CTF, where you had just like a set of maybe a dozen challenges and like a progression through that we could then kind of go on the road. We could give it to like computer science departments, or we could even come in. And kind of host a few hour event for them so we could get, you know, more kids interested in this concept of computer security younger and you know, hopefully in turn get more into the field in the coming years. So if anyone's, you know <laughs> knows or has, you know, aspirations to break in there. I don't have kids or you know, really yeah. understand much about <laughs> about them. So
0: yeah, yeah. Um yeah. I'll have to put some thought into that. Maybe there's there's some people I can connect you to to actually um um, make something like that happen. That's a, that's a great idea though. We'll say that. Yeah. 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 So, um, let's, uh, we're, we're kind of coming up against the time. Any shout outs to any mentors that you've had in life or, um, or mentoring that you're doing these days?
3: Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've had a pretty fortunate run, I think, um, at companies, like I said, you know, Chris Shergwin is the CEO and owner of, of Lane Speed, and he was always, you know, first to open up doors and, you know, expose me to new technology and, and keep me challenged. And he was, uh, pretty awesome. And then I worked for, you know, Phil Cox at, um, Ridescale, and he was awesome. It should give me new ideas. I think honestly, like one of the most impactful folks recently, though, was Colin Kelly. He's the CTO of uh, Invoca, and he's probably responsible for a vast majority of the growth I've had from a leadership aspect over the the last few years. He's been a huge influence in keeping me on my toes and kind of adjusting my expectations, you know, for for growth, um, translating, you know, those kind of impacts and the level of effort needed for. Uh, change as an individual contributor versus you know a manager and moving on to a director is, is very different and he right. he helped me navigate that I think quite well. Very cool, very cool. It's it's always important to have
0: mentors in life and so if anyone's out there listening, you know uh, find yourself some find some find some people that are that are willing to to uh, give you advice and some mentorship and and you just have to ask. Usually, a lot of people are are definitely open to it. Um, so you are on the Colorado Equal Security Slack channel, correct? How do people find and follow you on social media?
3: Um, you can follow my uh, mountaintop adventures if you like. I have a, I'm very like streamlined with my social media. Like the, the yeah. only thing I put on there is like, uh, like climbing mountains. That's pretty much it. So um, Instagram, I'm on there. I post, you know, folks uh for family and friends and stuff like that so they can kind of follow along i mostly use social media because i don't like telling stories multiple times (laughs) so i can go through and post my kind of like trip recap of this mountain and then like everyone just sees it and i don't have to explain it to you know family and friends like 12 times over but yeah so um it's james on brown on uh instagram i'm on twitter i don't really use that much um i think the easiest way to reach out um if you have any questions, or get a hold of me, and see through Slack or LinkedIn. Right on. Very
0: cool. Well, thanks for joining me today, James. It's it's been great to catch up and and hear kind of your uh, your story and evolution of your career and and um, good luck on the poker stuff, but not too much luck. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. And uh, yeah, I will I will catch you later. That concludes my interview with James Brown. Be sure to follow and support Colorado Equal Security on Patreon.